want to tell you a little story that happened to us this week. As some of you know, uh, one of our vehicles is completely shot. In fact, we were on our way uh, to go to Nashville for a little Memorial Day getaway. And as we were on our way up there, the, the car pretty much completely broke down. And we took it to the shop to get an estimate. An estimate was $6,100. Uh, the engine was shot, the timing belt went out, and, and a whole litany of other things. He literally said, uh, I can't get every detail of this on one sheet. I've never seen this before. Everything that needs to be done to your car. So we decided uh, probably time to move on, time to, to take uh, a step and bring a new vehicle into the family because we can't afford to fix that. So, so we went out car shopping, and we've been a few places, and we've had a couple rough experiences. The first place we went, they asked us what our price range was, and we gave him the answer, and he laughed at us. Uh, so we decided we weren't buying a car from him. Uh, another place that we went, uh, a guy greeted us, and we told him what we were looking for. And he said, I think I can help you. He said, come on out here. I'm going to drive you around. And he's part of a, a very large local dealership that actually has multiple locations. And so we thought, okay, he's going to drive us to one of the other lots. And so uh, he takes us to another car lot, actually, but it's a very small kind of private lot and we're not really sure what's going on but it does have some of the cars that we're looking for some things in our price range so we're thinking okay this could work out then we get back in and he's telling us a little about himself and yeah i've been selling cars for 13 years and da 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 da, da. and then as we're about to pull back up to the dealership where we came from he says this now if my boss asks you where we went tell him we went to the other home uh, the other lot uh and looked at this don't tell him where we went and i'm like um are you asking me to lie for you uh, I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And, and obviously, this guy had done this many, many times. Obviously, he was running some sort of a little game where he was stealing customers from one lot and, and getting a kickback from the other one. Uh, but I thought, how sad is it that we live in a society where the normal expectation is that I'm just going to go along and lie for him? Now, I didn't rat the guy out. Maybe I should have. I didn't seek out his boss. I didn't actually speak to the boss. But I told him, I said, look, man, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I can't do that for you. And I wonder how many of us in our daily lives, we let the, the expectations of our society catch up to us. And, and we fall down to the level of unholiness that we see all around us. Last week, we kicked off a little mini two-week series on holiness. And, and today is really part two of that series. It's really almost more like part two of the message. It's really like not even two different messages. It's, two mes it's one message together spread out over two weeks if you missed last week's message you can log on to citychurchob.com and check it out the podcast is up uh, and i would encourage you to do that but in case you weren't here or just in for a matter of review we learned basically three things last week about holiness we learned that number one god is holy we learned that number two thank god he gives us his holiness he makes us holy he transfers jesus's holiness to us when we receive salvation. And thirdly, we learned that God expects us to walk in holiness. The book of 1 Peter puts it this way, chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. It says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Today I really want to unpack the idea of walking in holiness. I know for most of us, that seems like such a daunting task. That seems like such an un impossible place for us to get to. We talked about last week how when, when we think of the word holy, what does is, what is holy make you think of? None of us in this room, when we think of the word holy, we think of ourselves. 
That's not a word we would ever put on ourselves because we know our junk. We know our stuff. We know our flaws. We know our mistake. None of us would ever say, yeah, that's me. I'm holy. But God looks at us differently. God says, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, when I look at you, I see a holy one. I see a holy person. And because God has given us his holiness, because he identifies us as holy, he then empowers us to walk in holiness. That passage in 1 Peter tells us that just as the one who called us is holy, so we should be holy in all that we do. And as we've learned last week, God never asks us to do anything that he doesn't enable us to do. God never puts a calling on our life. God never calls you to, to reach someone at your workplace without giving you the necessary tools to go out there and tell that person about Jesus. God doesn't give you a child without giving you the ability to be a godly parent. Now, just because God gives us that ability doesn't mean we always walk in that ability. Amen? But he gives it to us. He never calls us to something he doesn't empower us to be able to do. He always makes the tools available to us. So in light of 1 Peter 5.16, which tells us to be holy as God is holy, I believe there's a very important question we must ask ourselves today. How holy are we? How holy am I? How holy are you? Would you say if you really looked at your life that, that you've got just a little speck of holiness? There's this one little area of your life that maybe there's some holiness shining through in that area. And maybe the people closest to me might be able to identify it. Maybe you're moderately holy. There are more than one area of your life that's holy. And, and you see that holiness is creeping up in, in a few different aspects of your life. Maybe you're part-time holy. And there are certain days of the week that you set aside for holiness and certain nights of the week that you set aside for unholiness. There are many people like that. Perhaps there's some of us in this room who would say, if we were real honest, we are highly holy. I don't think I could honestly say I'm at that place right now. But I hope that you would join with me in saying, I desire to be highly holy. I desire holiness. I desire to be everything that God has created me to be and everything that he has called me to be, everything that he has equipped me to be. And if you're with me in that desire, if you can say honestly, Pastor Troy, I'm not highly holy today, but I would desire to be highly holy. I think I can help you this morning. I think I have some tools to give you that, that I am trying to incorporate in my own life as I pursue a deeper level of holiness. As I told you last week, this message that I'm giving you today was actually inspired by our kids' city director, Damian Danford. He preached this message a couple months ago at the 662, which is our student ministry. And as soon as I heard it, I said, I have to steal that message and bring it to our people. Everyone needs to hear this message. And Damien would want you to know that he didn't actually come up with the concept himself. He actually found it from a pastor uh, um, of Pentecostal Church. He actually found it online, uh, but he found it. The pastor's name was Brad Lewis. And he found the, this idea that Brad Lewis had put together, and he decided, hey, I'm going to use that for our students. Ultimately, I don't think it matters whose idea it was. What matters is, can I apply it to my life? And I challenge you, I encourage you today to take notes, to get your notepad out, to jot down these seven things. If you didn't bring a notepad, jump online this week and check out the podcast and go through and take notes on it. Because I believe these habits that we're going to look at of highly holy people will encourage you. I believe they will make a difference in your life if you begin to incorporate them to, your, to who you are. Jim Ryan famously said that motivation will get you started, but habit is what keeps you going. 
I know sometimes it's easy to get motivated to be a better Christian. I don't know if there's anyone else who'd ever say, man, man I've, I've been so excited and so fired up. I've told God so many times, this is the time I'm doing it. I'm going all in. I'm giving you everything. I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm not going to cuss anymore. I'm not going to talk bad to my family anymore. Motivation sometimes comes easy. I'm a highly motivated individual. Unfortunately, I'm not a person who always has the best habits. And it is habits that keeps you going. So if you've got the motivation, if you say, yes, I've got the desire, I want to be better, I'm going to give you seven habits of highly holy people that if you will incorporate these into your life, I believe they will sustain that motivation and begin to give you momentum towards the holiness that God is calling you to. So without further ado, let's get started. The first habit of highly holy people comes down to the word of God. And it's this. Highly holy people understand that scripture is the guide for their daily lives. Highly holy people don't view the Bible as a good book. They don't look at the Bible as a book with some good stories that some of them might even be true. Highly holy people look at God's word as the guide for daily life. This is the thing that has the answers for me on how to live, how to relate to my family, how to be the person that God designed me to be. If you want to be highly holy, there is no way to do it without having a desire, a hunger, and a habit of being in the word of God. It will never happen apart from God's word. In fact, Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. He said, for it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on what? On every word that comes from the mouth of God. What are the words that come from the mouth of God? The Bible. Scripture. It's his word. God's word is our daily bread. I don't know how many of you guys ever eat at O'Charlie's, but if you go to O'Charlie's, they have one thing that stands out above everything else, the rolls. And I don't care if you are the quietest, shyest, nicest person. If you're at O'Charlie's for five minutes and you haven't got any rolls yet, you're like, um, I need to speak to the manager because I need some rolls. Why? Because we need bread, because bread is good, because we love bread, man. God's word is even better than that. God's word is even more important than that, and yet we can't go five minutes without the bread that we desire in this physical world. How many of us go five hours, five days, five weeks, five months without feeding on the word of God, the bread that he has given us to strengthen ourselves spiritually, to become the people he's called us to be. We need the bread of God's word. Highly holy people love God's word. They can't get enough of it. They finish that first batch of rolls and they're asking for seconds. Bring me another batch. I gotta have more of the word of God. If you're going to be a highly holy person, you need to develop a habit of devouring, nourishing yourself on the word of God. How does that look? How should that happen? It doesn't have to be a formula. It doesn't have to be the same way that I do it or anyone else in this room does it. But I would say this, it needs to be daily. You need to have a time set aside where you are in the word of God. You're not just looking up the verse of the day on the internet before you, you leave the house, where you're spending some time in God's word, nourishing yourself with what it has to say. Highly holy people love the word of God. The second habit of highly holy people is this. Highly holy people daily seek God in prayer. Every day. First Thessalonians 5.16 says this verse, which just blows my mind every time I see it. It says, pray 
continuously. Another translation says, never stop praying. And I'm like, wow, I'm not there yet, God. What does that mean? Are we supposed to just lock ourselves in a closet or a monastery and just learn and recite prayers for the rest of our life? I don't think that's what God is calling us to do. In fact, God calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. If we're going to be in the world, we're not locked in a closet somewhere praying all the time. We are out loving on people and interacting with people. What I do think it means is that we're in a constant state of conversation with God. We're telling him our frustrations, our fears, our hopes. We're making known our requests to him. We're worshiping him. We're telling him how great he is. We're thanking him for the things he's doing in our life. Highly holy people daily seek God in prayer. Why? Because prayer is the means we have for our half of a lifelong conversation with God. You know, God wants to know you. God wants to know you. And he wants you to know him. He wants you to have an intimate, deep relationship with him. And prayer is the way that we do it. Last night, my wife and I had dinner uh, at Nukes in South Haven with another couple from the church. And this couple shared some challenges they were facing, some things they were going through. And uh, we talked for, I don't know, maybe an hour or so. And as we got to the end of the conversation, we did the thing that seemed natural. We said, hey, do you mind if we pray with you guys before we go? And they were, no, we'd love that, man. We know that we need some wisdom in this area. Would you please? So we sat there, the four of us, and we prayed in nukes. Completely natural, completely normal, didn't think anything of it. I got up to get a refill as we were getting ready to go. And as I came back, there was a man talking to my wife. Of course, when there's a man talking to your wife, you walk over there to find out what's going on. What's up? And uh, <laughs> he told me, man, I just think it's so amazing that you guys are praying out here in public. He said, I know how challenging that can be. And so he encouraged us. He built us up in the step that we took. And at first, man, we received it well. It was, we were very thankful that he would take the time to, to point that out. But as we walked out, he began to hit me. What a sad testimony that is about our culture. That, that someone in the southern United States, in the most Christian region, in the most Christian nation on the world, would say, wow, it's amazing that you would pray out in public. It's amazing that you would talk to God in front of everybody. That's, that's just awesome. Shouldn't that be the norm? And I'm not saying that we were praying to make a statement or that everybody would notice us. It didn't even cross our mind that there was anything out of the ordinary about it. Not because we're incredibly awesome, holy people. Man, we got a long way to go. I've got a long way to go. I'll tell you this. I know God is convicting me lately that my prayer life is not where it needs to be. But I'll tell you this. I talk to God every day. It's a natural part of my life. And if you could say, sit here and say, you know what, it's not easy for me to talk to God. It's not like talking to my kid or talking to my spouse. It's not something that comes easy to me. I would ask you, do you really have a habit of conversation with God? Is that something that you are doing on a daily basis? And if it's not, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to tell you that you've got everything wrong in your life. I'm here to tell you you're missing out. Because there is a God who loves you who wants to know you. He wants you to make your request known to him, but he wants so much more than that. Sometimes we treat God like the genie in the bottle, right? Well, I need this, 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 and this, or like Santa Claus. I just need to sit on Jesus' lap for a couple minutes. Uh, can we go to him with our requests? Absolutely. But he wants more than that. He wants our heart. He wants our time. He wants to know what we're going through. He wants to hear our thanksgivings. He wants to give us a chance to repent of the things that are wrong in our life. And highly holy people develop a daily habit of talking to God, of spending time with him. The third habit of highly holy people is they are devoted to following Jesus no matter what. Highly holy people are devoted to following Jesus Christ no matter 
sweat they face, no matter what the challenges, no matter what the persecution, no matter what the pressure, no matter what everybody else is doing, highly holy people are committed to doing what Jesus would call them to do. They're committed to following him. It's been said that what's popular is not always right, and what's right is not always popular. And I think that our culture is beginning to evidence that statement so much more than I would like to see it. Things that are popular many times are not right, many times are not godly. Things that most people are doing, the things that are quote-unquote normal, nine times out of ten, are not the way that they should be. And so as Christ followers, we've got to be committed to doing things God's way, not the world's way. To not follow the ways of the people around us, whether they're our family, whether they're our neighbors, even whether they're other Christians. Because there's a lot of other Christians that can be bad influences on us who aren't living to the place God has called them to. As a highly holy person, we must be committed to following Jesus no matter what. That he is our inspiration, that he is the one that we chase after. God's word puts it this way. In the last days, men will call evil good and good evil. And I really believe that we are beginning to be in a generation like that where good things are are frowned upon or many times even shouted down, where good things are, are made fun of, they are mocked, and evil things are glorified. That's the generation we're in. But good news is it's not just happening right now. A lot of times because because we're Americans, we think that, man, historically America had it all together, and just over the last couple of decades things have fallen apart. Well, there's a whole lot more to world history than just a couple hundred years of the United States. And the truth is this is normal for the culture to be messed up and God's people to not be honored, for God's ways to not be honored. In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy. He said, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Lauren mentioned earlier how the Apostle Paul is writing the book of Philippians from prison. He was in chains. Why? Because he was a bad dude? No. Because he couldn't stop telling people about Jesus. He couldn't stop telling people that there was a Savior who died for them, who came for them, who loved them. I read an article this week which was was very challenging, very convicting. It was uh, a study that was done amongst university students who are atheists. And it's a Christian organization who called all these atheists in, and they just talked to them. How did you get to the place that you are at? And, and to trying to discover how can we reach these guys. And the overriding point, the overriding theme uh, was, was summed up in this statement that, man, if people really believed in Jesus, they wouldn't be able to stop talking about him. If they really believed that there was a Savior that could keep me from hell, they'd have to tell me no matter what, how I reacted, no matter what I said. But I don't believe in Jesus because the people who say they believe in Jesus don't act like they believe in Jesus. What a heartbreaking testimony of God's people that the lost can look at our lives and say, you don't live like you really believe what you say you believe. Do you really believe it? Are you devoted to following Jesus no matter what? Does it break your heart that you have family neighbors, people that you work with, people you go to school with who might not be going to spend eternity with God? Does that affect you? If it does, and you want to be a highly holy person, you must be committed and devoted to following Jesus no matter what, no matter what people think of you, no matter how they'll treat you. Unconditional devotion to Christ is the third habit of highly holy people. The fourth one is this. Highly holy people live each day 
guided by the Holy Spirit. We talked last week about how each member of the Trinity is defined by holiness, but that the Holy Spirit specifically, that it is his nature. If there's anything about him that is holy, anything about God, that it is this, that God gives us his Holy Spirit. He is different. He is other than. He is separate. He is set apart. He's not like us. And so God sends him to live in us, to live through us, so we can live up to the calling God has on our lives. The book of Galatians puts it this way in chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says, so I say, live by the Spirit. You know, it's possible to live by the Spirit. It's possible to let the Holy Spirit live through you each day of your life. Verse 26 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's keep up with Him. Let's follow Him. Let's let Him lead us and follow where He's going. To live by the Spirit means this. It means that our lives evidence the Holy Spirit. How do we know what evidence is the Holy Spirit? Well, Galatians 5 tells us there's nine evidences of the Holy Spirit in our life. They're love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the marks of someone who is led by the Holy Spirit. If you are a highly holy person and the Holy Spirit is living through you, your life is going to evidence those nine what we would call fruits of the Holy Spirit. Life defined by these traits is full of his presence. Furthermore, highly holy people follow the Holy Spirit's leading even when it's contrary to their own plans for their life. I don't know if you've ever come to a place where you had a plan, you had a determination, you had something you were set on, and God said no. The Apostle Paul came to that place. In Acts chapter 16, he was on a missionary journey. He was out pursuing the call of God on his life, and they had a game plan. They knew exactly where they were going. They were going to go into a city in Turkey called Bithynia, and they were going to go tell people about Jesus. And as they set out to go to Bithynia, the Holy Spirit told them, no, don't go there. Of course, they're like, what's going on? Why would God say no? Why would he tell us not to tell people about Jesus? So they went and they found a place to stay for the night and, and began to sort out what was going on. And that night, God appeared to Paul in a vision. And he gives Paul a vision of a man from Macedonia. And this Macedonian man says, come, we need your help. Would you please come to us? And so the next morning, Paul and his companions, they set out for Macedonia, the first location on the continent of Europe where the gospel of Jesus went. Why did God not want them to go to Bithynia? Was there something terrible awaiting them in Bithynia? Were the people there not ready? Was God sending someone else to Bithynia? We don't know. See, many times when God says no or when God changes our plans, he's not going to give us the reason. He's not going to explain everything to us. He's not going to say, here's why I don't want you to go there. Now I need you to go here. We love the reason, don't we? I think the greatest question that is ever asked about life is why. God, just tell me why this thing happened. I don't know about you, but a lot of times God doesn't give me the why. God just gives me the what. Here's what I want you to do. Obey me. Trust me. Follow me. Later on, it's going to make sense. I believe when we get to heaven, the Bible says that Jesus is going to wipe away every tear. I think he's gonna make, everything's going to make sense. His whole plan and his whole vision for our life is going to come into picture, and we're going to see why these things happen. But many times we don't find out in this earth. But highly holy people are committed to following the leading of the Holy Spirit in their daily life. So what was the result? The world was changed because Paul was willing to be led by the Holy Spirit. And I believe the same thing can be true today. If we would just get a hold of the fact that the Holy Spirit has a plan for us, has a desire for us, has something for us to accomplish in our daily life, I believe our worlds would be changed. So here's part one of your homework. I want you to write this down. Here's what I want you to do.
for the next seven days, for one week, I want you to get up each morning, and I simply want you to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you that day. Before you do anything else, before you get in the shower, before you go get that cup of coffee, I mean the first thing in your day, Holy Spirit, I need you today. Would you lead me? Would you show me whatever it is you have for me to accomplish? If there's someone that you want me to minister to, to reach out to, lead me to talk to them. If there's something that you're calling me to do, show me what it is. If there's a difference you're calling me to make, reveal it to me. If there's something I'm supposed to read, show it to me. Ask God each morning for seven days to lead you that day and watch what happens. I don't think you'll stop. I think you go much further than seven days if you'll simply do it for a week. When you begin to see that each day can have purpose, that each day can be literally the day that the Lord has made, that you can rejoice and be glad in it because he's got something for you to accomplish for his glory. Fifth habit of highly holy people is this. Highly holy people are committed to God's house and God's people. They are committed to the house of God and to the people of God. Hebrews 10.25 puts it this way. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Basically saying some people have developed bad habits. I'm going to tell you the right habit. I'm going to tell you the highly holy habit to have in your life. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But do what? But let us encourage one another. You know the, the number one reason why you go to church is to encourage one another? There's many other reasons to get fed, to make an impact, to worship God. I mean, there's tons of reasons we come to church. But the one that is explicitly laid out in Scripture is so that you can encourage somebody. You know, God's called you to be an encourager. It may not be your spiritual gift. You may, man, you may be naturally grumpy. You may be, you know, it's like that dude that everything is just, every, bad, every day is a bad day. We got a cat like that. Like, he's just a grumpy cat, right? Like, some of you know what that's like. He never had a good day. But God's called you to be an encourager. He says, I want you to be in church. I want you to get together with my people so that you can encourage somebody, that you can lift somebody up. You know, when you come to church, it encourages me. It does. Even if sometimes I don't get a chance to talk to every one of you. And I'm a people person, so it bothers me when I don't talk to everybody in this room. Man, it drives me crazy. And Melody, you can ask her. Every Sunday, I'm like, oh, man, I didn't get a chance to talk to so-and-so. Oh, man, I didn't say, say hey to so-and-so. Like, I want to be with every single one of you guys. And as the church grows, like, I'm just going to have to get over that, right? Like, I'm going to have to get past that desire. But that's just the way I'm wired. I want to be around everybody. I want to talk to everybody. I want to hug everybody. My wife thinks I'm weird, like I'm a touchy-feely person. That's just how God made me. But I want to encourage somebody. And I believe that all of us are called to do that, to give one another courage, to build each other up. I've heard it said that being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being at an airport makes you an airplane. And it's true. Just coming to church is not going to make you a Christian. But if you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, coming to church is going to help you on the path to holiness. It's going to help you be more like who he's called you to be. You know, the Bible compares church to, to a body. The Bible calls it the body of Christ. And that every one of us is a part, that everyone has a part to play. You ever had somewhere to go or something to do? It needed to happen like right now and you got up and your foot was asleep and your whole like body, your whole equilibrium got thrown off because you got one good foot and two good arms and one good head and one stupid foot and you can't get where you need to go. How many times is the body of Christ limping around because we got somebody sleeping in it? Because we got somebody who's not embracing what God has called them to do. And I'm not just talking about city church. There's churches all over America and probably all over the world. 
And I'm not saying there's not days that, that you're sick or there's not days where you're on vacation. I'm going on vacation in August. Vacation's a good thing. We're not anti-vacation. But we are pros, getting together, loving the body of Christ, selling out, being committed to one another. I got to brag on somebody on this point because as I was putting this together, there's one person who came to my mind, and that's Dwindle Nell. Dwindle, uh, if you don't know Dwindle, he's a, a former pastor. He was a pastor for nine years, missionary for three years. There's tons of things I could brag on him about. There's tons of things I could tell you how awesome he is. But my favorite thing about Dwindle is none of that. My favorite thing about Dwindle is just this. He is committed to the house of God. Man, since Dwindle joined our church about a year ago, I don't know if he's missed maybe two Sundays. I know he hasn't missed a single first Wednesday. He's not missed a single third Wednesday. He's not missed a single Mission OB event. If the doors are open, if there's something City Church is doing, dwindles there. He is sold out, committed to the body of Christ. And I love that about you, man. And I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm friends with Lori. I know you're not perfect. <laughs> Lori will tell you. If you think Dwindle's perfect, just ask Lori. She will hook you up with the info. But, but even in your imperfection, man, you, you are sold out to the house of God. And I love that, man. And I appreciate that about you. And I hope that all of us would develop the holy habit of commitment, not just to God's church, but to God's people. Uh, and, and lastly in this, it's not simply a calling to be present and to show up. It's a calling to be accountable to one another, to, to develop a relationship, to find somebody who you can pray with, who you can re- study God's word with, who can check in on you. Man, highly holy people are committed to God's people and to his, his house. Habit number six of highly holy people is they are obedient who separate themselves from the spirit of the world. Highly holy people are obedient to be set apart. Remember, that's what holy means. That holy is set apart. That we are not the same. That we are different to make a difference. And if you're going to be highly holy, you've got to be committed. You've got to be obedient. You've got to be sold out to separating yourself from the junk all around you. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, sanctified is a real spiritual-sounding word that many of us may not know what it means, but sanctification is literally the process of becoming a saint. A lot of times we, we imagine saints as these men and women who lived hundreds of years ago that have halos around their heads, who lived these perfect lives. Uh, those people, yes, they were saints, but God says you're a saint. You see, a saint is simply a follower of Jesus. Saint literally means holy one. And we're not holy because of us. We're holy because of what he did. That's what we learned last week. So we are committed to being set apart. We are committed to being different if we're going to be highly holy. If you read on there in 1 Thessalonians 4, you discover the context is sexual purity. You know there's a lot of sexual impurity even in the church. There's a lot of sexual impurity all over the place. In fact, it's so rampant. It's so easy to fall into sexual impurity impurities in our culture it's everywhere that we look but God's people the holy people the ones that he has called has called to be like him they are obedient to separating themselves from the junk all around them if you're in sexual sin today can I tell you two things first of all there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus this does not mean you are not worthy to come to city church it doesn't mean that, that you need to go find another church or find another religion or quit church altogether in fact it means exactly the opposite but it does mean this. It means God's called you to something better. It means you need to repent. You need to turn from your sin. You need to give yourself to Jesus completely, wholeheartedly. Give him everything that you are. Be committed 
for the will of God to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be everything he's called you to. This is for whether you're young or you're old, you're single or you're married, you're male or you're female. This is all across the board for all of us. We must be committed to separating from the sin, the sinfulness of the world. We live in an age full of godlessness where men and women are more concerned with the immediate than the eternal. But highly holy people, we're eternally minded. We see the big picture. We see that God has something in the future for us, and we're going to be everything he wants us to be. Finally, last habit of highly holy people, simply this. Highly holy people seek to serve the body of Christ with all their hearts. Highly holy people seek to serve the body with all their hearts. I believe with everything that I am that serving will help you take a step towards holiness that nothing else ever will. Uh, for As a youth pastor uh, of seven years, I can tell you many times where I was tempted into something, where I was challenged into something, and the conviction wasn't this isn't right before God, although maybe that's what it should have been, but the conviction was what if my student knew this was going to happen? What if my student knew that their youth pastor was involved in this? You see, serving gives you a level of accountability. Serving raises the bar for you. In fact, I remember the first time that ever happened, I was I worked at a camp as a teenager. I was like 15, 16 years old, and I worked with these young kids. And uh, I was out at a football game after the summer, after it was all over with, and I was at this football game, and I was with my friends. And you may or may not know this, but high school football games are not the holiest places on earth. Sometimes there's some unholiness that goes down, and I'm just being a, a stupid teenager involved in whatever. And uh, one of the seven-year-old boys that had been in my cabin walks up to me. He's like, hey, Troy. And I about lost my mind. Like, all of a sudden, I realized the importance, the need, the demand to live up to what God called me to be. All of a sudden, it became real to me, the conviction that my life matters. You see, serving will do something for your holiness that nothing else will do. Highly holy people are committed. They are devoted. They are passionate about serving the body of Christ with all they are. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, and circle this in your Bible, mark this in your notes. This, This phrase is so big time. He says this, Rather, serve one another humbly in love. A lot of times in the New Testament, we see this phrase, one another. And any time that we see that, it applies to anybody, for sure. You can, you can apply it anywhere, but specifically what the New Testament means when it says one another is fellow believers, fellow Christians. I mean, even in this verse, it says brothers and sisters, to those of us who are in the body of Christ. Your calling, your purpose is to serve each other. When we, we have a program here called Next Steps, it's our membership program. It's a four-week-long process for people to join City Church. And in Next Steps, we, we have a definition moment at the very last week of Next Steps. Here's the difference between being an attender at City Church and being a member at City Church. This is what it means. Attenders show up to find out what can I get out of the service? What can God do for me this week? What can they do for me? But a member shows up with the perspective of what can I give to the service? What difference can I make? How can God use me today? That's the difference here between being a member and being an attender is a member has a commitment that I'm not coming to church just for myself. Does it mean you're not going to get anything out of it? I hope not. 
Man, you should get something out of it. God, I believe that when you serve, you're going to get more out of it than when you don't. I think it's going to make a bigger difference in your life. But a member has a commitment to serve God's house, to serve God's people, and to do so wholeheartedly. So here's the questions for you today. If you're here today and you're not a member, but you desire holiness, I'd encourage you to consider taking the, sh- the step of membership. I'd encourage you to consider joining City Church. Maybe you know City Church is not the church for you. Go find a church. Man, we are not the only church in DeSoto County. Uh, we, there are other God-fearing, God-believing, passionate churches. Find one that's right for you, but find it quick because your church needs you because the body of Christ needs you. They need you to plug in. They need you to serve. If you're here today and you're a member at City Church and you're not currently serving in any area, I'm not going to get on you because you're violating the membership covenant. I'll throw that in there just in case it helps. But I'm going to tell you this. You're missing out on the greatest life-giving experiences you can ever find. There are people I'm seeing faces all over this room that serve wholeheartedly, committed in this house consistently. And they'll tell you what a difference it makes in their life. They'll tell you why they show up early. They'll tell you why they give up an hour of sleep or two hours of sleep on a Sunday morning to love on a kid, to encourage a kid, to to be at the coffee bar, to make coffee, to come and lead worship, to greet somebody at the door, to serve the body of Christ. Lastly, if you are a member and you are serving, which is most of us in this room, which I love that I can say that, for those of you in that last category, let me ask you this. Are you serving wholeheartedly or are you just going through the motions? Are you giving the body of Christ your best or are you just filling a spot on a calendar and on a schedule? Because Ephesians 6, 7, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture says this. It says, serve wholeheartedly as if you are serving the Lord, not people. And we need to approach every opportunity like, hey, I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm doing this for him. But I love that phrase at the beginning, serve wholeheartedly. Are you giving it your all? Are you giving Jesus your best? Are you giving the church your best? Or are you just kind of doing it because nobody else is willing to do it? Is that your mentality? Let let me flesh this out in in one specific department. It'll apply to any department. But let's say, for example, you're a Kid City teacher. Are you just showing up on Sunday morning and kind of maybe reading through the notes on your way to church and kind of hoping that you can fake your way? It's like, oh, it's just kids. They're not going to know. I don't know the lesson anyway. Or are you studying that lesson? Are you giving God some time? You're praying over it. God, speak through me in this lesson. Are you praying for the kids during the week? Are you going before God? to bat for them by name. And here's what I do know. I know we got teachers like that. So if you got a kid in Kid City, I want you to know you got people praying for your kid throughout the week, interceding before God for the betterment of your child, which I think is awesome. Man, I'm so grateful for those teachers. But if you're not at that place yet, again, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just telling you you're missing out. Man, if you will serve wholeheartedly, if you'll take that step from simply showing up and and filling a spot on a schedule to giving it your best, I believe God's going to bless you, your holiness is going to increase, and the body of Christ is going to advance. We're going to make the impact that God's called us to make. So we can apply this to, to first impressions. We can apply it to the worship team. We can apply it to media. We can apply it to the 662 in, in any of those areas. I'm not trying to pick on Kid City. It's just the first area that came to mind. We're kind of theming uh, Kid City with the offering and everything today. Whatever area you're in, if you're serving, serve wholeheartedly. Give God your best. Highly holy people serve the body of Christ, the church, with all their heart.
we get ready to close today, uh, if God did not intend us for, for us to be holy people, he wouldn't have called us to be holy people. If God didn't want us to do it, he wouldn't have asked us to do it, and he wouldn't have asked us to do it if he wasn't going to enable us to do it. He's given us the ability. And so I know for many of us in this room, I know for myself, when we go through these seven habits of highly holy people, there's probably some of these habits that you're like, yeah, that habit's not really involved in my life at all. Or maybe that habit's not really where it needs to be. And so I invite you as we get ready to wrap up our service today, invite the Holy Spirit to speak. Invite him to put his finger on, on the areas that you aren't really where he's called you to be yet. And to begin to take the steps to develop the habits of, high, of being a highly holy person. Remember this, if you try to do these things on your own, you're going to fail, and you're going to fail miserably. It only works because of the Holy Spirit living inside of you and empowering you. Ezra Taft Benson said it this way. He said, the Lord works from the inside out. The world works from the outside in. The world would take the people out of the slums. Jesus takes the slums out of people, and then they take themselves out of the slums. The world would shape human behavior, but Christ can change human behavior. Only Jesus change human behavior. So the real question is not, what behaviors do you need to modify? There's a lot of ways that I could give you a behavior modification message, and you could go out of here with some motivation. I'm going to get my stuff together. And it's probably not going to last. The real question is this. What area of your heart have you not given Jesus to? See, these seven habits of highly holy people are simply indicators of what parts of our heart have we completely submitted to him, and what parts have we held back. So if there's a part of your heart that you have not completely given to Jesus, give it to him today. Just give it to him. Just surrender it to him. Just say, God, I want to be everything you called me to be. I want to be everything you created me to be. I give you my whole heart. I'm holding nothing back. I'm not holding back in the area of my purity anymore. I'm not going to go do the things that I want to do. I'm going to be separate from the sin of the world. I'm not holding back from, from selling myself out to studying your word, from encouraging myself and strengthening myself on the word of God. I'm not holding back from developing a prayer life anymore. Maybe you don't even know where to start, but you're just going to commit, God, I'm just going to start talking to you. Even if I don't know the right words to say, I'm going to develop it. I'm going to get to know you. I'm going to start having conversation with you. What part of your heart are you holding back from him? Give it to him today. And as you give him your heart, he'll give you his holiness. You'll begin to see these habits become so much easier to develop in your life. Let's pray.